Blog Talk Radio. The secret to everything. You are about to hear secrets. Secrets about life. Love. Hidden mysteries, spirituality, frequencies, energy healing, science, alternative health, money and abundance, and much, much more. Secrets that most others don't know, but are now here being revealed to you. Listen carefully and be open to learning the secret to everything. The views expressed on the secret to everything are not necessarily those of the host, co-host, or our guests. All medical information discussed is for informational purposes only and not intended to diagnose or prescribe for any disease or condition. Please contact your medical doctor or qualified health practitioner if you have any further questions. By listening to this show, you have agreed to the terms and conditions outlined at drkimberlymcgeorge.com. And as always, we thank you for listening to the show. Good Wednesday evening to you. Sometimes I can't keep track of the days, but sometimes we air this wonderful show on different evenings, but good Wednesday evening to you. I am super excited for our guest tonight, and I'll get to him um, in just a minute. I will give you a little bit of a teaser if you don't know what the topic's about. It is one of our most, I think it is the most popular downloaded subject and show whenever we have a guest that talks about this. And the topic is going to be life and death, but specifically we're going to come in the door of near-death experience. If you don't know what that means, I think you'll have a pretty good idea by the end of this show. And our beautiful, amazing guest has not only had one near-death experience, I've actually had one myself, but he has had three near-death experiences. And I can't wait for him to tell you about that and for us to learn about that. But I just noticed that I believe our beautiful co-host, Karen Foley, is on the phone. So we're going to jump in and say hi to her really quick. Karen, are you there? I'm here, Dr. Kimberly. How are you this evening? Hi, I made it to the eclipse, and apparently it was not the end of the world. Yes, and I'm alive, so I'm feeling pretty good. How are you? I'm fabulous. I'm ready for this exciting guest that you have tonight. I can't wait to hear his stories. Yeah, I think it's pretty amazing. And I love, I didn't finish the whole book, but you guys have got, this is a got to get a book. And I don't know if he has his next one out, but I know he's working on another book too. So these books are got to have and put on your bookshelf. And I think the topic can be very healing, both for us personally and very healing, you know, as we share with others who have lost loved ones or who have had similar, you know, experiences in both living and dying, of course. Really quick, Karen, though, um, I ran the collective consciousness of anyone who would ever listen to this radio show or is listening to this radio show now or ever watch the YouTube video or all the places that this is uploaded and downloaded. 
And some interesting things came up, not too surprising, but one of the things that I thought was a little bit interesting that came up that's going on right now in the collective is a lack of empathy. Does that surprise you, Karen? Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yes. I'm like, I can't believe that. A lack of empathy? So everyone is like thinking about themselves? Yeah, I think thinking about themselves and maybe a little bit numb. And I think we're seeing a lack of empathy now, maybe not in the radio audience, which is what I ran, but in the world as a whole, I think we definitely are seeing a lack of empathy. Don't, don't you kind of in the world as a whole, you can kind of feel that energy? Yes, yes, that, that's true. Yes, and in, in the whole, yes, in, in the world. Um, you know, I, I'm thinking of the people that I know and, and deal with and who are very, you know, empathic. So it's like, hmm, you know, that's really hard to, to take. But, yeah, I, I can see where the whole world is like that. And I would challenge the audience, you know, are you numb? Are you more numb than you think you are? Are you numb in your spirituality? Are you numb in your energy? Are you numb in your emotions? Have you shut down? Are you living with fear in your field? The other one that came up that kind of goes along with this, and I know this will not surprise you, is uh, the emotion of confusion. So people are very confused, and I think that is across the board. Oh, yeah, I agree with that one 100%. Um, yeah, that, that confusion. You know, there's Mercury retrograde thrown in right now, too, that people can, uh, you know, use that as an excuse. So, <laughs> Yeah, sorry, I was dealing with Luna, the psychic dog, who just had puppies, so she's here distracting me a bit. Um, another thing that came up, which is the thyroid. So, Karen, I can't tell you, men, women, children, Babies, thyroid is huge because of why. I mean, we know the EMF, we know the radiation, we know the foods we're eating, we know the stuff that we're not taking. So as a preventative measure, you guys, you might want to think about taking iodine, which helps protect your thyroid from radiation, and you might want to look into like a good herbal or vitamin thyroid support because that's coming up for everyone, and you know where that attacks. That also is associated with the throat chakra, which is speaking our truth, speaking our power speaking up period so um i thought that was a little bit interesting not that's not too surprising obviously there's a lot of thyroid stuff going around and then um again this goes right in with everything else stress came up obviously huge for the collective and specifically a lot of people's neck and backs are out especially the upper back and neck where we hold a lot of stress so again you know i think shows like this are really good because they take us out of the rush and the busyness and the you know, darting to and fro and the accumulation of things and money. It's like, whoa, 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 <laughs> let's boil it all down. Life and death. And let's just have a really cool discussion. So without further ado, um, I'm going to introduce our guest, which is Mr. Robert Kopecki. And I want him to tell you a little bit about himself. So I'm going to skip some of his biography, at least the first part. But um, he is an author, an essayist, an Emmy-nominated art director. How amazing is that? Um, he's designed the credits for Showtime's Weeds, designed art for the PPS, um, and much more. He's on Gaia.com, BeliefNet, The Mindful World, so much I can't even read, so lot of time, and many other places. He and his wife live in Brooklyn, and you can find him at robertkopecki.blogspot.com, which is um, a lively blog of spirituality and art. I'm sure he'll tell us about that. 
And his next book, How to Get to Heaven Without Really Dying, that's a clever title, is due out in 2018. We'll ask him about that. But tonight, mainly, we're going to be discussing, I believe, his first book, How to Survive Life and Death, A Guide for Happiness in This World and Beyond. So, without further ado, welcome to The Secret to Everything. Hello. Hello, welcome. Hi, Dr. Kimberly. Hi, Karen. Good evening. So, Robert, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna take you out of the life and death for a second, and let's just get to know you a little bit. Would you tell us uh, your background, kind of up to um, maybe your first incident? Uh, you know, very briefly. How did you grow up? Where did you grow up? Kind of tell us what your life was like. Sure. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because you know we you look at your lives in retrospect and they seem sort of perfectly scripted in a way. Um, obviously, I kind of overdid it having three near death experiences, but they were kind of well spaced through my life. And uh, the first couple ones happened at a time when really nobody was talking about it, so I didn't talk about it a great deal. But I came from a um, <clears throat> I came from kind of a typical background for people, I think, who have these kinds of transformative experiences in a lot of respects, or or they have, uh, I've encountered that a lot in talking to people about near-death experiences or about spiritually transformative experiences, and that is that I had a difficult childhood. I was raised near the border, um, just outside San Diego, California, and my dad was was an alcoholic who was... uh, pretty crazy and so I lived in this kind of um in this kind of um difficult challenging sort of space and I can remember from the time that I was a little boy uh, thinking that that uh wondering if this was the way the world was supposed to work you know wondering about I was wondering about larger questions kind of when I was quite a quite a small kid I think kind of the nature of those difficulties uh, sort of put me in a place where I had to consider things kind of beyond my years. You know, I wasn't really uh, thinking about uh, uh, playing baseball or or riding my bike or stuff. I was. I was doing that, but I still had these kinds of challenges uh, going on. And I I remember uh, my early life even being uh, slightly uh, paranormal. In a way, uh, when you're a near death, okay. when you're a near death experiencer, you are paranormal. I am part of the apparently. I'm part of. I'm part of the paranormal community. I never set out to be, but uh, I I had some experiences as a child with a. There was a uh, there was a elderly Mexican Indian. My father had a business in downtown San Diego, and this fellow used to show up on his on my dad's truck lot. And uh, um, his name was Arturo, and he was a Yaqui Indian who was, I don't know how old, but he looked very old. And he used to talk to me when I was a little boy about the star people and about taking rides on their on their uh, spaceships and stuff like that, you know. And uh, my mom was from the Pacific Northwest, and, and uh, I remember one uh, vacation. Uh, she took us up there every summer. One one year, she, we always had a theme kind of, and one year it was it was Bigfoot. But uh, this is Bigfoot a long time ago, you know, like 1962 or something, before wow. before Bigfoot had an agent even, you know. And <laughs> she denies it now. 
she would she would never admit to it now, but she she took us on a, a, a quest for Bigfoot when I was just a little kid. I remember. Uh, so there was this kind of uh, stuff going on um, early on in my life. I I had a, a I left home early and I kind of started searching. I started driving around the Western United States. I was I was sort of a bum, pretty much of a bum. You know, I was a, I went skiing. I skied in a few places, and I would land in some place and stay there and make some connections, and then uh, move on. Um, I ended up in a in a uh, freestanding fireplace factory in South San Francisco. I became a welder, and from that, yeah. I then became a a uh, monumental steel sculpture fabricator. I got hired by a kind of a famous sculptor, and I did that for a couple of years and was around the art scene in, in uh, San Francisco when I was quite young, just 20 or 21. And I took the money from that, and I went to art school. I realized I wanted to be an artist and that that was the way that I was going to, to uh, earn my bread. And uh, I, I had never had to learn how to draw. I could draw from the time that I was just a little boy, so it seemed like a natural fit for me. And I went to the Art Center College in Pasadena and became an illustrator and uh, an art director in Los Angeles. Uh, I got married for the f- first time, and that uh, that kind of very busy, upwardly mobile lifestyle uh, led to my f- my first near-death experience. Now, before so, we get into that, let me ask you a couple questions that just come to mind as I listen to you. Were you conscious enough or awake or aware enough to know what you were searching for or were you just kind of wandering did were you, how did you feel or did you not feel was it just instinctive well i i had i had a great break in my life because i uh, met a um a kung fu teacher uh, and this was kind of before kung fu was really I'm sorry about the sirens in the background. I don't know if you can hear it's okay, that. That's what Brooklyn is like. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I had this. Uh, I had a kung fu teacher, uh, uh, Sifu, when I was just a teenager, and he he taught me quite a bit of stuff. He went on to become a tenure history professor, and that was when I first got uh, I first got exposed to Eastern thought to Confucianism and to Taoism and to meditation a little bit. I have an older sister and an older brother, and I ended up reading all of their books that they had around. So I I read things like Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance or lots of existentialism. Uh, Kurt Vonnegut was a big favorite of mine and Magical okay. Realism, uh, Gabriel Garcia Marquez and the like. And uh, I ended up, I think, wandering, but wandering with some kind of intention. You know, I I was looking for something. I ended up meeting uh, interesting people, generally that were older than I was, not always obviously successful, but that seemed to have a quality of success at a different level than I uh, than you would normally uh, think of a person being successful. Like they were had something together or some kind of connection uh, that I was seeking. So I think that I was always uh, searching for God, so to speak, in a way. Mm. You know? That's beautiful. You were 
and just reading your energy and kind of taking that journey back with you, I think you were always kind of what people would say a deeper person maybe, you know, a more, I, I think that's just kind of in your nature to, I don't know. To, to be I, like I heard that, that a lot. You were set up for these experiences <laughs> is what I'm saying. I think you're, you're the perfect candidate for a new job. I got a lot of that when I was young. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I had a really wild like, incident I know, happen. I know what it is. Old soul, Robert. Yeah. You're an old soul. That's it. <laughs> All right. Uh, so well, you know, I, so, I, go ahead. Go ahead. I do believe in that sort of thing, definitely, because I believe in karma and I believe in reincarnation. Uh, obviously, once you've peeked behind the curtain of, you know, one or two times too many, you'll you uh, end up feeling that way. Uh, so. I I do think that some of the realizations that I've been forced into and, you know, kicking and screaming a lot of the time, uh, definitely the hard way, um, are the kinds of lessons that I, I've gotten sort of down the road a ways. You know, I, I don't know for sure, but that's always been my, my feeling. And, you know, the fact that I could draw so well from the time I was like three or four, yeah, um, that kind that's of, interesting. That kind of stuff like is, a you were yeah, yeah, you know when kids can like compose symphonies and stuff when they're five years old? They didn't yeah, learn that's that crazy. from two to five. You came in with that. Uh, yeah, you came in with that beautiful, um, natural, strong, artistic ability. Um, that's really cool. Okay, so you're wandering around, being successful, meeting cool people, and... Tell us about your first NDE. I'm sure, yeah. I was married, and my wife and I were both working quite hard in Los Angeles at that time. I was an art director for one of the major newspapers, and I was doing a lot of illustration for the entertainment industry. And I was doing underground cartooning. There was kind of a punk scene going on there, so I was I was real busy all the time. And I took my wife to the airport. She was off to see her aunt in Arizona. And on the way home, I, it was twilight, and I took a, a, um, a street back that I had never driven on before. And this will tell you about the time period when it was, because <laughs> the, the accident was, uh, was precipitated by a cassette deck malfunction. My, my, uh, my tape deck swallowed my tapes or so to speak if you if you're old enough to remember that kind of thing we would have now malfunctions like that sometimes like, what are you talking about they'd be like yeah about? right <laughs> they would have no clue but but me i've had many tapes swallowed actually i was in radio a long time ago and i'm all about tapes being swallowed <laughs> so totally good. yeah well you, then you you know that bloop, bloopy sound that it makes when your tape gets eaten, and I reached over and ejected it, and I was pulling out the tape, and I was not paying attention where I was going. I was driving about 30 miles an hour or so, and this uh, street, it, I, it, I thought it was a straight street, but it had a little jog in it, and I glanced off a car that was parked kind of strange and went straight into a telephone pole. Uh, so uh. The last thing I remember is pulling out the long string of tape, and boom. And the very next instant, I found myself at the top, at the level of the top of the telephone pole next to a street light. It was, it was dusk, and I remember clearly looking over and seeing the street light next to me with a, like a moth flying around it, you know, that kind of thing. 
Um, Near-death experience memories lots of times are, are very vivid. I don't mm. I don't add I don't add to or grow my uh, my memories at all of these things. I tried to distill them at a certain point. So this is exactly uh, what happened the way that I remember it. Um, from that bird's eye view that I had up at the level of the top of the telephone pole, I looked down and saw the car smashed into the pole and rather badly uh, with steam kind of coming out and an arm hanging out of the window and the, the windshield was completely broken out like a kind of a big tempered glass kind of spider web shape you know, fracture. And I could look over the uh, the trees and hedges into yards, into people's yards in this neighborhood mm-hmm. and see lights snap on and people coming out because they had heard the crash. And I watched as people congregated around the car and somebody called an ambulance and the ambulance arrived. And I could, I was not aware of having a body at all, but I was aware of being myself still. Mm-hmm. So that I, I felt that I had some, you know, boundaries of personification, so to speak. But I, I don't remember looking at myself and seeing a body at, at all. But I was able to uh, kind of drift down or motivate myself down towards to try to uh, uh, contact somebody, to communicate with somebody. But I couldn't. They couldn't see me, or uh, I couldn't uh, get anybody's attention. They put. Um, they put my body into the car, into the uh, ambulance, and about that time, I became acutely aware of not being alone, as, as though I had mm-hmm. a somebody uh, off behind my uh, left shoulder, who uh, kind of told me that it was time to go, in not so many words, and, and mm-hmm. uh, shepherded me off into what I can only describe as kind of a gray cloud. I ended up in a place that was very pastoral, sort of like a park um, of nature, and having this um, having this kind of easy interview uh, with a, a personage who I don't you know I don't remember exactly who it was. I didn't I didn't meet any, uh, any relatives or ancestors or, uh-huh. or deities or anything like that, other than this. Uh, the, this kind of angel or person that I was conversing with, and we talked about important things. I can't remember the exact um, detail, but it was sort of like hashing things out, as I recall. And um, and then pretty much the next thing I remember was coming to about 20 hours later or so in uh, Los Angeles General Hospital with my head wrapped in bandages and a nurse who, who acknowledged my uh, of being awake again, and uh, and that was my f- my first near death experience. I, I didn't really know uh, what to do about it because, as I said before, there were not very many near death stories going around. I mean, the the, the famous people like P. M. H. Atwater or, or Kenneth Ring mm-hmm. or uh, Raymond Moody had written their books. They were writing their books. But I didn't know about them, and I didn't know anybody who had an experience like that. So I pretty much uh, went right back to work. You know, I, I, one thing I did do was I went back to the neighborhood and I looked behind the hedges mm. and stuff from the ground level, and everything was as I had seen it from above. 
So I had that confirmation of having actually been in that location and seen things as they were from a position that I I could not have seen otherwise. Uh, but from that point on, I really just kind of went back to the material world and my, you know, busy life. So in that time period, shortly after that happened, did you feel that that experience didn't necessarily, did you kind of just stick it somewhere? I mean, it wasn't super amazing to you or super weird to you, or did you just kind of lock it down and put it on the back burner, would you say? Yes. Yeah, it was both of those things. It was uh, uh, weird and amazing, uh, and so much so that I didn't. Uh, I think I might have tried to tell a person or two. At at certain points, I believe I brought it up with complete strangers, kind of because the people that were closest to me had already sort of rolled their eyes at me, that kind of thing. Um, but I didn't really know of any kind of support group or any kind of place where I could go and. It, it was a natural thing for me at the time, at the kind of level of consciousness that I had, to simply suppress it and go on with my life. However, I do think that it informed me or agitated me at a certain level where I wasn't quite able to fit in as well as I had before. You know, I I may have been had a, a, a bit more empathy for people and maybe a bit more sort of transpersonal reality going on i i started to kind of be aware of um i kind of started to be aware of spirits maybe but i didn't know i didn't think of it that way i you know maybe my i had a little more esp so to speak uh, than i had had before um and it kind of enhanced this searching or this kind of need uh, to to search. So um, at a certain point, uh, I I told my came home from a job that I'd had, and I asked my wife. I was 28 years old. It was my birthday, and I wow. said um, I said, "How would you like to quit everything and just travel?" And uh, this my first wife, and she she said yes, and we took off on a year long trip. Ooh, wow. uh, <laughs> wow. We just we just headed uh, from from Los Angeles to New York uh, City and on all points east and just kept traveling eastward uh, for a year all the way around the world. And, you know, again, we went to like every cathedral and every ruin and all kinds of uh, magical places, kind of, you know. Um, Mm. We ended up exploring the the, uh, Mayan underworld before that was... uh, a well-known thing to do and we searched for tiki in the south pacific from island to island the small island chains of the marquesas the tuamoto archipelago archipelago if i can say that word (laughs) and so uh you continuing this kind of a quest uh you know for truths but i i didn't think i was living a spiritual life i really didn't (laughs) Interesting. So you were still kind of wandering, maybe advanced wandering. Um, how did your second NDE come about, and how was it different from the first? Well, um, just a touch of uh, a touch of backstory to that. 
when my wife and I got back to the United States, we moved to San Francisco, and I had had an aunt who had taken care of me in my difficult childhood lots of times, and she was very important to me. I got a phone call that there had been an accident at a hospital when she was undergoing a uh, kind of a basic, an angioplasty is what she was having done. And uh, she had uh, become comatose, and my cousin was probably going to to unplug her. And I got in my car and went and was with her uh, when she died. Um I forgot to mention I had two girlfriends when I was a teenager who had died also, uh, obviously very young. And so uh, that kind of knocked me, the death of my aunt kind of knocked me out of my tracks in a way. And I ended up um, uh, being in kind of a confused state. Uh, my marriage didn't last, and when I broke up with my wife, I went to uh, to New York City and I started to really kind of act out on a lot of this, uh, a lot of the turbulence of my early life. And I lived a, a downtown a Manhattan nocturnal lifestyle, uh, uh, clubbing, and I was quite a successful illustrator in town at the time. And uh, I was up very, very late at night. I slept very little. And I just kind of burned the candle at both ends, uh, so to speak, and it was kind of like a Roman candle, in fact. And I ended up having, uh, I ended up having this kind of uh, a, I mean, you, I, I suppose I could call it a drug overdose would probably be the the most okay. accurate uh, terminology. Um, to me, it was kind of a, a cascading shutdown that was the result of years of this kind of lifestyle, right? you know, four or five or six years or whatever. And um, I just fell out on the floor of my apartment in, in uh, midtown Manhattan uh, one night after a party. And uh, was as I was laying on the ground, I couldn't move. Uh, my girlfriend at the time started to uh, try to talk to me or revive me or I, but I couldn't see her because the room filled in with this brilliant white cloud. And mm-hmm. once again, as in my first near-death experience, everything was uh, very peaceful, and I felt uh, very supported. You know, in in all of them, I I felt this connection to the state of being that was rather blissful. You know, on this. The sense of being connected to a, a greater intelligence. Uh, once again, not really aware of having a body, so to speak, but I was myself. I was me. And I mm. had this sense of this presence over my uh, left shoulder again, who again. said, watch this. And I, looking into this brightness of this white cloud, kind of like when you look out the window of an airplane when you're flying up through the clouds towards the sun, mm-hmm. just this brilliant white, a screen of sorts opened up out of the cloud and began to play uh, these episodes from my life. It's called oh, wow. a life review motif. But these weren't like films uh, so much as they were kind of like three-dimensional boxes of experience that were kind of interactive. So I 
I felt like I was almost sticking my head into this moment in time and reliving it again. None of these were uh, these weren't the greatest hits. These weren't like the best <laughs> the best oh, no. memories ever. <laughs> oh, no. These were these kind of pivotal moments where I something happened, something was transpiring that was very transformational, but I didn't notice it. I may have been hurting somebody's feelings and not realizing it. I may have been witnessing mm-hmm. a great opportunity and not have known to take it. Things like that, right? And there were four or five of these in quick succession. It's only over the years that I've started to sort of fill in some of those blanks. But lots of times I don't go there because I'm not sure what my memory is telling me. So I know what kind of memories they were and what they felt like to me. And uh, as I participated in each of these episodes, I started to realize the outs the external world again. I could hear my girlfriend starting to yell. It was kind of eking in around the edges. Uh, and then the cloud kind of started to lift. The show stopped, so to speak. The cloud kind of started to thin out, and the, the harsh reality of my apartment in, in uh, Chelsea and my girlfriend sobbing and screaming uh, came into uh into detailed uh, uh focus again and I was I started to feel my body again and to be able to move my arms and legs a little bit and I sat up and uh that was my second near death experience It might not make sense Robert but I find that story rather profound because um, if you, you know, started saying, I'm watching this life review, or you asked me, guess what I was watching? Like, I would probably either say, like, really amazing, positive things, like your wedding or the birth of a child, or you know what I mean, or um, just mm-hmm. something fun and amazing. Or I would say super negative, like um, maybe a divorce or, you know, someone passing that you love, like the extreme. But it's kind of stunning to me that it was apparently insignificant moments that were actually supposed to be significant. There's something profound in that. Yeah, uh, there is uh, something profound in it, and it wasn't lost on me. I didn't know what the heck it meant. Uh, I knew that I had to change. I knew that if I didn't change, I was going to die and stay dead. Uh, so I left my life in New York, and I went back out west. I, I went to Arizona to live in the desert again and get back in touch with my roots a little bit. But, yes, the fact that um, that these were moments where there was, there was a profound, possibly not all that spectacular, but nonetheless profound lesson to be learned that, that, uh, that I had not been consciously aware of enough to have learned from. And um, my first near-death experience, I realize now, as having been this gift of perspective, of spiritual perspective. My out of once you have an out-of-body experience, it's very hard to get the genie back into the bottle, so to speak, right? And so I can look at things with that kind of lovingly detached perspective. The second mm. one was this gift of of presence, and that. We live in this eternal moment right now in which I'm speaking to you and your listeners, in which we experience everything we experience is right now. I don't feel that much differently about the way I'm experiencing my life in this moment as I ever have 
right? I, mm. I'm a 60-year-old man now, but I, feel, I don't feel much different from when I was 20, you know? This is an eternal mm-hmm. moment, so to speak. And these experiences arise out of this, within this moment. And we need to be engaged in them as fully as we can with as much as awareness as possible so that we don't miss anything that's really important, you know? Uh, really important things can seem insignificant when they're happening unless you are open-heartedly uh, in fully engaged and aware of the moment. So uh, having that gift of presence, I think, is what that uh, that second one gave me. What a gift. That's such a sweet truth that some people live their whole lives and they never come to that fullness of presence. That's such a beautiful gift that you receive, really. Yeah, and you know, everything that you need is within that moment at any time because the nature of your happiness, the nature of your fulfillment, the nature of your potential is always alive right now, right? Uh, For example, Mm. uh, there's a lot of talk about manifestation, right? There's uh, Mm -hmm. manifesting whatever you want out of this obviously sort of plastic reality that we live in. And what it really comes down to is being engaged in the moment with a quality that permits you to focus on the thing that's important to you, to see what the next best thing is to do because you're there for it. Uh, to be present in such a way that opportunities arise when you least expect them and you're ready for them. So uh, this kind of uh, engagement in the moment is where everything else comes from, you know. And the uh, the um, sensations of, of happiness and, and pleasure are alive in each moment in the same way uh, that, that uh, sadness or disappointment are alive in it uh, and we engage in them hopefully appropriately at the right time if when i'm just sitting around and i'm feeling blue the fact is my life is really pretty good so it's kind of crazy <laughs> yep. for me to sit around and feel blue so i can re-engage in that moment i can start that moment over again uh, with a different point of view and and that's the kind of thing that uh that having that presence can really uh, do for us i think um, so that was a great lesson, that second one. They're all great lessons. I don't recommend that you learn the way I did. <laughs> you don't recommend we sign Avoid it if you can. The way, the way you learn those. Maybe we can learn them in yeah. a different way. Unfortunately, it doesn't seem so. It seems like we do learn in similar ways to uh, how you learned, at least I know in my life, uh, very similar ways. It's so funny because in a way, Robert and Karen, it's counterintuitive to practice the art of presence. We are always reaching outside, really. We're taught kind of in 3D reality to reach outside the current moment, to reach outside of ourselves instead of go back in to that deep center and that deep presence. And so I love that you're teaching this because it it's so needed and it's so not understood in at least the American culture in my you know observation and even around the world. And so I just thank you for the work that you're doing because you could have, I mean, you really couldn't have because of the soul that you were, but you could have made the choice you know, very differently. <laughs> you could have chosen. I, I think you might have been invited off planet. That's my opinion. But if you hadn't chosen, mm-hmm. but 
But yeah. I think it's really rich that you just aren't going around. You didn't write a shallow book um, in glorification of yourself or in glorification. I think, you know, there's other books that kind of do. Uh, these glorified, you know, look at me and I got special abilities and I'm special. You didn't go that way. You kind of went into, I'd like to share with you um, what I was given and how I've applied it, you know, and how I'm living my life. And I, I think that's a beautiful thing. I really thank you for doing that. So lead us into number three. I can't even believe I'm saying this. I don't think I've ever talked to anyone who's had three. Yeah. No, it's crazy. I can hardly believe it uh, myself, and I can I can tell you how all of this kind of crystallized. But the, the crazy th- – I mean, I think the reason why I'm not compelled to assume any kind of – any kind of attitude about uh, how spectacular or glorious these events were is because I was I was essentially confused by them. After the second one, I didn't really have anywhere to take it either. Uh, you know, there I still mm-hmm. had no sense of there being any kind of community, and I wasn't searching for one. I I just had, knew I had to change, and um, I was I, what I was doing was go I was going about dying in a way where I. I didn't actually die, you know. They're near-death experiences, but they were pointing mm-hmm. towards a different kind of death. And so it's nothing that I'm particularly uh, proud about because pride is an aspect of ego, and ego is an mm-hmm. aspect of a false connection with the material world. You know, if, I were, mm-hmm. if we're projecting out into the future, we're, make, we're imagining things, lots of times then we become defensive or we become manipulative. If we're projecting backwards into the past, we get lost in regrets and remorse and that kind of stuff. And so staying in the moment, mm-hmm. I think, uh, was something I was stuck doing uh, then, but I didn't know exactly what to do with it, and I didn't know where to look for help. I ended up out in in, uh, Arizona, and I was kind of uh, fumbling uh, at that point. Um, I met somebody and decided that I was going to get married again and that that was going to fix my life. I was 40 years old. uh, you know, I'm still looking for something to make myself whole uh, and not feeling like I could relate these experiences with anybody. Um, and so uh, just before I was about to get married, uh, my fiance was at home baking scones, and I had gone to watch uh, um, the Super Bowl with some friends. And after the game, I came back out. This was in a small town in Arizona, and I got on a payphone, and this will tell you that this was kind of a while ago too now. It's getting to be <laughs> a while back, um, 97 or so, 1997. And uh, I got on the phone to to uh, my fiancé, and while I was speaking to her, a big uh, skinhead, uh, you know, what we've just recently been hearing in the news about neo-Nazis, sure. And the like, and that's what uh, these guys were. We used to call them skinheads. Uh, so in in Los Angeles and in Arizona at that time, uh, disaffected youth who identified with uh, this sort of quasi-militaristic uh, Nazism kind of stuff, and I think they just were confused. Um, this kid was confused. He assaulted me while I was talking on the on the payphone, and I talked him down. 
At the time, I had just come from New York City, and I think I was kind of dressed up for the circumstances in this small town in Arizona. And he thought I was something which I'm I'm not, which was gay, and he started to accost Uh me. And I convinced him to leave me alone. And uh, he 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 had uh, he'd reached in and hung up the phone while I was talking uh, to my fiance, so I called her back and I said what had just happened and that uh, it was okay because he'd gone away and he came back then, and oh, no. he started to very aggressively push me and then I made a great great mistake in my life that I'll never do again. I planted my rear foot and I punched him right on the chin and knocked him out cold, and he <sighs> fell over. And all the people around me sort of applauded like this was some great thing that I had done because the skinhead had been assaulting me. Mm-hmm. And I decided I better head back to my fiance before I got in any more trouble. And I re- had ridden a bicycle, and I got on the bike and started riding it. And without realizing it, there was a van of these skinheads, a van full, who had watched me punch their compadre. And they drove along behind me and uh, came up behind me Mm -hmm. and hit me across the back of the head with like a tire iron or something like that. Wow. And uh, knocked me unconscious headfirst into the curb. And then when I got the uh, police report uh, almost two years later, I discovered that they had uh, taken turns getting in and out of their van, stomping and kicking me for the better part of an hour. Um, Oh, my gosh. This time, I was someplace else. I was on the other side, so to speak, but it didn't feel as light or as heavenly as the first two experiences I had. It was more almost subterranean or kind of womb-like in a way. I still felt that that warmth and that sort of... Um, uh, infusing love, uh, you know, that and and uh, like I was part of a greater intelligence kind of. I may have felt a little bit more like a body myself, and I think I was aware of this kind of violence going on. It almost seemed like it was in the uh, other room or someplace just out beyond me. And I, there were a number of of um, personages with me. Uh, And they were all telling me essentially the same thing, that I had not gone about things the right way and that I couldn't stay. And I argued with them because I wanted to stay because I had had it. I'd had enough of the material world of pain and disappointment and all of that. And uh, they insisted. And sort of the way I remember it, I was being kind of picked up by a a lot of hands, a bunch of hands, and pushed through this sort of membrane that I kind of popped through, and I opened my eyes at that moment, laying on my back on the sidewalk in this small town in Arizona with an emergency medical worker above me who said, he's back. And uh, I had to have fairly major reconstructive surgery, it had titanium pins and stuff like, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it took me quite a while to recover physically uh, from it. And the weird thing is that I still was not, uh, I was not, I didn't come out of it as a devotee to a spiritual existence. I still mm. was holding on to some aspects of the material world. And, you know, I was about to get married again. And 
none of that worked. Within just a year or two, I had come to a point in my life where uh, that marriage ended very quickly, and I was kind of completely lost in a way. And Mm -hmm. at that moment, that's the moment at which I actually died. I had died these three times in my life. I'd gotten this sense of perspective and this sense of presence, and then from these people on the other side telling me that I needed to go back and do things that I needed to do, I had this kind of idea that I had some purpose that I hadn't fulfilled. Um, But my life as it was completely fell apart. Everything that I thought I was, that I thought I was well-known for or important for, everything that I thought was of value in my life suddenly just did not exist at all. None of it was true. And I was at this place of absolute humility that was the point at which everything beautiful happened in my life. At that moment, I became teachable. All the things I thought I was and thought I was supposed to be fell off of me. I had this kind of death of the ego, which is really what death is. If we're eternal beings and we keep living, why do we have to die at all? Well, it's because we have to be reduced to this place of absolute humility, which is counterintuitively a very powerful place. The place of our greatest power lies in that humility, in that sense of our authentic self and our authentic connection to everything else. And after all the life that I'd lived and all the things that I had been, suddenly out of nowhere I became interested in reading ancient scripture and I became a meditator. I was back in uh, back in New York City again, and my career started doing quite well. And I found a little house on the Upper Delaware River, uh, mm. where I could go and meditate on a rock by the river, which I did for uh, six or seven years. When <clears throat> all of this crystallized, these three experiences crystallized in my life. I was called on to write. And I started writing. I had an art blog that I had started posting spiritual essays on that became more popular than any of the art that I had on there. And mm-hmm. um, and then I wrote the first manuscript for uh, How to Survive Life and Death in just a couple of weeks. I actually Googled spiritual publishers in Brooklyn, and a company came up that I could send my manuscript to and the guy called me back and asked me to lunch and became a fan of the manuscript and actually sent it to a larger publisher and after about a year of working on it or so that larger publisher Konari Press uh, Red Wheel Wiser published it and uh, so just like that within a couple of years uh, I went from being a sort of struggling displaced <clears throat> illustrator and and uh, designer and art director to being a um a spiritual author like <laughs> mm-hmm. just like I that I love that I love that and let me ask you a question it's a little bit of a personal one because I unfortunately totally understand what you mean by uh, the death of ego and it was a very painful unpleasant um journey for me to get to that place as well 
why do you think we cannot come, it seems, and I may be wrong, I've never talked to anyone that has come to the place of that death and rebirth, as you, you speak of, pleasantly. Why can't we come to that, like, you know, happy and dancing and laughing? Why, what is that barrier that, and maybe you do know people, but I don't. I know people that have had to be broken or have three year death experiences or many other right. things. You understand what I'm saying? Why can't we come to that in joy? I don't, I, I, I mean, it's an honest question. I don't know why. Uh, yeah, you know, I don't know either. Doctors say that babies are born into this world screaming and crying because it exercises their lungs, right? They start breathing right. deeply into their lungs. But you can do that laughing, too. So I'm not. There aren't that many babies that are born laughing outrageously, right? Um, I think that uh, I think that that's the nature of this life. You know that this is kind of a spiritual school where we're asked to be engaged mm-hmm. in these <laughs> physical bodies and to experience this mm-hmm. kind of sensory material world, the pains mm-hmm. and struggles and sadness of things passing by us, of, uh, of life coming and going. Uh, so that we can learn something uh, deeper and more profound that we can carry with us into our next karma form uh, beyond this. Uh, Something that really amazes me, and one of the places where I'm a little bit different than a lot of other near-death people, it really comes from having had the three experiences, because they were all different. I think if I had had just mm-hmm. the one where I had, you know, sat with an angel in a park and talked about my future um, and seen my lifeless body from the top of the telephone pole, I think that I would have one thing to say about a near-death experience or, or one way to think about it. But I, I, I don't. I had three completely different experiences, each one giving me one of these profound lessons of perspective and, and presence and, and purpose. But then also the the, um, the 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 fact was that I uh, had to um, learn to grow from this kind of complex place, and I started to realize that many near death experiences are are very different. There are certain things that are repeated lots of times: the the light at the end of the tunnel, or the the Elysian field where you meet your uh, your relatives, that kind of uh, that kind of thing, or or this having be, to be forced back into life. You know, my experiences are are kind of typical motifs, uh, so to speak. But there's also the fact that if you are uh, a Buddhist in Asia, uh, near death experiences there, uh, they tend to meet Rama, who is the god of death, and to be mm-hmm. Guided into the bardos, which are these kind of surrealistic passages through different aspects of being. Um, I didn't know that. Hmm. You know, and uh, Christians, uh, you know, devout Christians almost always meet Jesus. They oftentimes will see great uh, cathedrals of light with heavenly hmm. choruses and angels with wings and all of that. But for different kinds of people, culturally, um, it's culturally dependent, uh, sort of the forms that the near-death experience takes. So what does that mean, you know? We're never disengaged from consciousness. That I know. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I feel that I carry this package of karmic information 
into uh, whatever next life is going to be. I don't know what my form is going to be uh, after this life, but I think that it is a this kind of um, field of total uh, potential where almost anything really can happen. And in a sense, that's the same way in this life. Uh, people get born into all kinds mm-hmm. of different uh, circumstances, mm-hmm. and sometimes you know how to write a, a symphony when you're five already. And other times mm-hmm. you can't figure out how to get anything right until you're 42 and have been hit on the head very Tell hard me. three times. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly think, Robert, I mean, when I look at your icy timeline, so when I look at your timelines, it's so interesting because this and other things, your near-death experiences as well as other events in your life, it's almost like you had to be um, stepped up or stepped over it even almost looks like a step over it's not really a step up but like you each time you jump timeline um whether you intended to or not but it was almost like you weren't jumping the timeline to get to this spiritual teacher place kind of where you're at right now and with the audience that you have so you were helped a lot okay you're only going to be able to live 80 90 right here <laughs> so let's jump in right it's really interesting when i look at your timeline and go back it's Super cool, but I mean, maybe not so pleasant for you. But it's interesting to me because it's well, very, it, very clear. <laughs> it's interesting. The last near-death experience was uh, 1999, uh, and since then, you know, I mentioned that I'd spent those years meditating on that rock by the river, and that I'd mm-hmm. have my uh, first book published, and my second book will be uh, coming out on Llewellyn Wor- Worldwide at the beginning of next year. Wonderful. Um, how to get to heaven without really dying, um, which is a little less about death itself and the phenomenon of death, and less with the intention of helping people through the experience of uh, their own potential death or of the death of a loved one, which is how to survive life and death is about that quite a bit because I'm really trying mm-hmm. to, to help people with those issues. And the next sure. book is is going to be more about um, about living and about how to uh, realize uh, this sort of sensory uh, state of being that we could call heaven. Because I think that heaven can be in any life you're living. Right? Mm, I I've, I agree. I've had experiences of heaven here, uh, and so that's what I'm trying to help people with in the next book. How exciting. I could talk to you forever. You're so interesting. I love deep people. <laughs> now, I'm being led by Spirit to ask about um, your wife, Sue. How did you meet Sue? And it looks like she does something amazing as well. If you don't mind, could you just share really briefly about her? Yeah, it, you know, this is fabulous. Uh, I had met her at one point when I came back to uh, to New York, and I was just kind of starting on my spiritual path, starting my meditating and stuff, and we didn't really hit it off. And a couple years later, <laughs> we'd met very briefly, a couple years later I was upstate and I had bought this house on the upper Delaware River uh, uh, in Pike County, Pennsylvania, and I came home that night back to New York City and was walking across town to my apartment, and I bumped into her again. And she, uh, I, I asked her for a date, and she said she couldn't because she was going to the country the next week. And I said, oh, do you like to go to the country? <laughs> because I just happened to have bought a small house in the country today. 
and uh, she wrote she wrote her name down uh, and name a number down for me, and her name is Sue Pike, and I had been signing paperwork for Pike County all day. I had seen That's so weird. the name Pike over and over that day, and uh, that to me is more evidence of the unseen. There is a great mm-hmm. uh, mysterious Magnetic. net of connection. You know, yeah. invisible machinery of life just under the surface of everything. That's a very yeah, real thing that we can. <laughs> you called Pardon? her in that day as you were writing. You you, you called that that beautiful woman in. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. So now she announced in a metaphysical, right? She does. Uh, yeah. She's, she's known as Animal Talker, and just let me share a website: SuePikeEnergy.com. You guys can check that out, but. I mean, was she that? Was she doing that when you met her? Um, she was a, a Reiki master, and she gave me a Reiki oh, session wow. that changed my life. Wow. I, I, I met my aunt and my angel in, in, in an astral trip that I took in a Reiki session. <laughs> so that changed the way I looked at things quite a bit. And mm-hmm. uh, not long after that, then she announced that she was going to help dedicate her skills to helping animals and she began sort of spontaneously to communicate with animals and uh, has been doing it for a number of years now very successfully and it's just a remarkable thing to witness there's just more and more evidence of the miraculous all the time Uh, she is so uh, fantastic at what she does and you know she's she's been on um on Seth Meyers and on Fox and Friends, uh, and she's on a radio show herself every month um, uh, out of a uh, public station in, in uh, Florida. So she's uh, really a wonderful person and amazing, amazing with what she does you for the animals. You guys have some fun at your house. You guys are like the supernatural power couple, you know? We're a paranormal couple, yeah. I love that. <laughs> but, you know, so we do our paranormal laundry. Over. Pardon? If I'm going to have to get her over on our show. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, she's great. Uh, but, you know, we're a paranormal couple. We do our paranormal laundry, and we have paranormal breakfast. Oh, and all paranormal that kind dinner, of stuff. paranormal dishes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's really pay our paranormal rent, the whole deal. Oh, you're hilarious. But, well, Robert, but we, tell us yeah. all about uh, your about Tell what? us all about your books and how we can get in touch with you. And um, I already gave out your wife's website. You guys can look her up. And um, so share with us how we can get your books and get in touch with you. Well, How to Survive Life and Death is available at the at Konari Press, the Konari Press website, or on all the regular uh, ways, all the big online book dealers and bookstores. And um how to uh, uh, how to get to heaven without really dying is going to be coming out at the beginning of next year, and so you can watch my Facebook author page, Robert Kopecki author. Uh, I'm also on Twitter, uh, Robert Kopecki three for three near death experiences. Hashtag three NDEs. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and I have a um, I have a blog called Art Faith in the Coco Lion which is robertkopecki.blogspot.com. 
and uh, you can access everything there. I post regular um, regular essays there as well as on uh, Gaia.com and TheMindfulWord.org. And you can reach me there. I've also got a contact email. And I'm always happy to uh, to hear from people if I can help any anybody with issues around life and death. I'm glad to. I don't charge for that. And um, uh, you can just drop me a note if you read one of the books or read one of my articles and have uh, questions about it. I'm always happy uh, to engage with people. Uh, that's what that's what this life is about. Mm, phenomenal. There are a couple of times um, when you were speaking this evening, I just got chills. So I encourage you guys, if you've listened to this one time through, that you kind of go back because you really have a beautiful energy and a beautiful presence and uh, just a powerful, powerful gift and ministry and story. And I just, you know what, I, you're a brilliant illustration of what I teach. So people are like, what is my purpose? What is my purpose? Why am I here? Why am I here? And, you know, we can talk for hours about that. But if you boil it yeah. down to me, is you are here to be you. And so I just want to thank you, Robert, because I feel all you're doing is being you. And that's the most brilliant and amazing and fun and special and, you know, far-reaching thing that you can be. So I think you're a great illustration of that. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're, we're here to recognize the eternal in everything and in each other and in ourselves, our authentic selves. Well, Karen, I don't know if you're still on, but let me make sure Karen gets one last stab at it. Karen, do you have any thoughts or um, any questions before we let Mr. Kopecki go? I've been listening intently, and um, I I just want to say that I have been so enthralled, and um, it's been a, a very deep learning experience just listening to your stories and I hope that, you know, people come away with just from hearing you tonight, it was like live in the moment. You know, don't worry about the past. Um, you know, you can figure things out, but but really it's living in the moment and allowing um, what's going to come next and accept it. And your your humility is just so refreshing and beautiful and your authenticity and everything that you've shared tonight just really touched my heart. And I just want to thank you so much for all of your words tonight. I'm just, just really uh, very grateful for everything that you shared. Well, that's very, very kind of you, Karen. Thank you so much. And thank you, Dr. Kimberly. I really enjoyed uh, chatting with you. Oh, likewise. I hope you'll come back sometime and, um, you know, best wishes on your fabulous new book. And um, I'd love to talk to your wife sometime, so I may be reaching out to her in the future. But have a wonderful um, evening as we go into the weekend and the rest of your week. And, you know, many blessings on both of you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Kimberly. Thank you, Karen. All right, so that wraps another. You know what I was just thinking, Karen? I hope this doesn't mean anything, Karen. At least I hope it doesn't mean anything for me. But we had um, Patricia Ladera on, and that was a beautiful conversation about, you know, the midwifery and the death process. And I'm telling you, Karen, I am starting to get excited about dying. Am I allowed to say that? Oh, I think so. Um, and I and I was thinking right in the same lines with you on, on all of this. It's like we have so many teachers now that are out there, you know, leading the way so that we don't 
so that we don't have to have those near-death experiences, right? So that I think it's really making it easier if we only pay attention to little things, you know, like what Robert was saying, that he really wasn't paying attention to things. And then, you know, now he finally gets it. It's being in the now, accepting and appreciating the now. It's kind of like, you know, your parents, they're like, tell you, you know, I want to do this if I were you, this is going to happen. So we have these beautiful teachers that are saying, if you, if you learn the lesson, if you drop the ego, if you live in the fullness of the moment, if you connect to the all, on and on, all these principles, and if we don't just talk about it and debate it and wish upon it, if we do it, you know, it has to involve action. Um, but then we can avoid some of the consequences, I guess, of not living like that because, and you know, I teach this, you do too. It's everything matters. Every choice matters. And we do have free will and we can choose, you know, we can choose to wander like Robert did, or we can choose to um, live in ego or we can, you know, choose not to, you know, study eternal or not be spiritual beings. We're all spiritual beings. Even those of you that don't think you're a spiritual being, I'm sorry, I'm here to tell you you're a spiritual being. But you know what I'm saying, Karen. Like, we all we all have our places where we've wandered. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, yes, yes. I think, you know, every path has a lesson, every path. Um, you know, it can, some can be a shortcut, like you talked about jumping timelines. Um, and it's up to us to choose. So, you know, choose wisely. That's what I get from, from, you know, this conversation tonight. Choose wisely. Yeah, choose wisely. And, um, and I just love that, live in the fullness of the moment. And just like he was sharing, even about his wife, I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty direct. It's a pretty direct frequency match when you're riding Pike all day and your wife, you know, you meet your wife at same. I mean, that's just, but that's how this world works. It works in frequency. It works in attraction. It works in magnetics. And you cannot be outside your body. You cannot be necessarily wandering around and be able to manifest at that point. But when you do practice the power of presence in the moment, everything gets better. So we're going to leave you lovely, lovely, lovely people with those thoughts. Karen, do you have any wrap-up thoughts about the eclipse, about life, about death, about anything? I think I'm good tonight, Dr. Kimberly. Um, you know, just I like Robert's, you know, message. Be in the moment, enjoy, and, and find goodness in the least little things. Um, that's that's what I, where I'm at right now. Yeah, I think I'm going to uh, lay it down like that as well. So secrettoeverything.com, you can find out more about me. Google me. I have a ton of social media, and we'll get it up robertkopeckyblogspot.com um, go to I always go to Amazon but I'm sure you can go many places Barnes and Noble um, other places how to survive life and death and then look for uh, his next book how to get to heaven without really dying which he said is coming out soon but thank you so much Karen for being with us thank you guys for listening we love you we appreciate you and we'll be back with another awesome and fascinating guest um, more than likely next week so take care you guys and have a great week